Morning, everybody. Really good to see you. If you're visiting, we're really pleased you're with us. Hope you feel at home this morning. <coughs> what we thought it'd be good to do as a team is to give an overview of the Bible in 20 weeks, which is going something, but to help us get the big story, the big scope of what God is doing. And uh, last time we were together for this, that was a couple of weeks ago now, Johnny was taking us through a big chunk of the Kings and, and Chronicles and all that was happening and the sadness of what happens when God's people reject God and think they know better and do it their way. It was a sobering preach, if you remember, and uh, just the weight of our potential to neglect God's goodness and his mercy. What we're looking at this morning is the prophets, um, and some of the prophets were speaking right in at that time, and uh, God was speaking through them to God's people. So this overlaps with what we heard before. Uh, Some of you hopefully by now have realized, did he just say the prophets? Did he mean all of them? Um, Isaiah has 65 chapters. Jeremiah is suitably as long. Ezekiel is not a short book. And then we get Daniel. And then we have things like Jonah. And there's some nice small ones in there like Obadiah and, and Jonah. Uh, it's pretty short, and then there's Haggai, and there's not much to Malachi, and some of these names, some of you are thinking, are they even in my Bible? I don't remember seeing them. Um, but if you add it up, we have 17 books of the Bible to get through this morning. Um, so I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know how much I'll manage to convey. I feel looking at my notes, um, I'm being somewhat ambitious, but I think for us to have an overview of what God was doing and speaking through the prophets will help us. So uh, we'll give it a go. But I need you all to help. So I'm going to need 16 people, pretty quick, to come up the front and hold a piece of card. You haven't got to act. You have, thank you so much, See, You can be Isaiah. Good man. So come on. We're, just, we're going to look at these prophets and who they were. You can have those. You get two. Okay. Um, Fantastic. Let's grab some of these. So just hold them up so people can see them. So these are the prophets. Uh, We can have some lady prophets. There weren't any lady prophets, but that's okay. So ladies are running. Oh, can we? They're all men. Can we? For this exercise, it is absolutely fine. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So I need a couple more. Come on, Russ, you can join us. Someone needs to be a Zephaniah. I thought, I looked at you this morning, I thought, (laughs) there is Zephaniah. Uh, Who else can we go? Guys, would you mind? Oh, have got one more. I need a Zechariah. Go on, be Zechariah for you. you just got to stand up. So there they are. Now, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Where's Jeremiah? There they are, the Arsenal supporter. Um, that explains why he was so miserable. Um, <coughs> <laughs> Jeremiah is not the happiest of books. Um, he'd lived for a long, long time, had huge pressure, was put in prison, put down a pit. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I'm a Spurs supporter, so it worked out well. I could put you down a pit. Um, he wrote Lamentations. That's why there's two up there. Lamentations, uh, kind of five long songs, five laments. It's not a cheery book. Um, but there they all are. So in ter- what I thought I'd want to do is give you an overview first, a factual overview. This massive block of scripture. When were they speaking? What were they speaking about? Because some of them were speaking at the same time. And some of them, if you remember in our story, God's people, Israel, have now divided. And you have Israel, that's you guys, okay? So you can be Israel. You thought, we're not going to take part. I'm not going to stand up and be a prophet. Well, now you get to be a nation. So you're Israel. These guys over here, you can be Judah. 
So that's the other big tribe that has split off. And some of the prophets spoke to Israel and Israel alone, and some of the prophets spoke to Judah. So when you look at your big chunk in the Bible, <coughs> it's helpful to know who were they speaking to. With us so far, not too complicated. I realize West, first thing in the morning, you think, goodness, it's all I can do to find my Bible. Yet alone kind of have a huge history lesson. But I thought West site can cope with this. So the first person, where's Joel? There's Joel, good man. So Joel... Uh, was speaking to Judah. So you're in the right place. And Joel, scholars think, historians think, he was one of the first. So about 800 years before Jesus. And what Joel was writing about is what is God doing in natural disaster? There's a huge disaster, plagues of locusts, and that's kind of the theme of Joel's book, as well as some promises, as there are in lots of the prophets, for what God will do in the future. Um, in terms of dates, so about 50 years after that, Jonah, where are you, Jonah? So Jonah, you, can be, you were from Israel, and Jonah was sent to Nineveh uh, with God's mercy and a message to rescue Nineveh. Joel got quite upset because Nineveh were Israel's enemies. So God is speaking about how he still wants to rescue even the enemies of God's people. Um, Amos, where's Amos. Amos, you're over there as well. So you're at a similar time to Joel, and Amos was a shepherd. And Amos is a Brit, it's only short, but it's full of compassion and mercy for the poor. And God, as we'll see later, we'll quote later, we'll look at a verse from there, of God's heart for the poor. Uh, Hosea, where's Hosea gone? So you're at the same time as well, Hosea. So these three are all together, talking to Judah um, at a similar kind of decade, 20 years or so. And Hosea, will touch on later, he had to act out what God said to him. And, um, well, actually, <coughs> you know where he knows what the book's about. Because Hosea had to marry a prostitute to demonstrate God's love for his people, to marry an unfaithful woman. So those three were all at the same time. Um, so I tell you what, if you want to put your cards down in a pile, and Joel as well, you guys can go and sit down. So that was a chunk. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah spoke for a long time, uh, again to, to Judah. Where, hang on, it should go over here, shouldn't it? Sorry, I got that wrong just there. Yeah, that's right, so Judah. So Isaiah, a great big long book, one of the perhaps more famous prophets, full of prophecies about what God's going to do. But a lot of Isaiah is about judgment for rebellion, Judgment for neglecting God, but also God will rescue. So you get some passages about judgment, but then God's saying he is going to rescue. Where's Micah? So much shorter, but Micah, you're here. So at the same time as Isaiah speaking to Judah, Micah is talking to, <coughs> talking to Israel. And again, similar themes. Much shorter book, but these guys were kind of overlapping. Judgment, but rescue is coming. So if you guys want to put your cards down, thank you very much. Zephaniah, kind of out on his own. Well done, Zephaniah. So, you're, so you are to Judah, you're over, you're over here. And uh, again, primarily about judgment. Some kind of hints there that God's going to rescue, that God will come with mercy. But about 640 years before the time of Jesus, and Zephaniah is speaking to Judah on his own. So thank you, Zephaniah. Go and see. You need to, if you're going to be a prophet, you need to grow a beard. But we'll give you. Uh, you didn't. You didn't have much notice. But uh, there you go. So Jeremiah and Lamentations. Your time has come. 
So Jeremiah was speaking for a long time to Judah, and uh, again, about judgment, also about how God will rescue, but it's a pretty sad book, because the amount of rebellion, and if you think back to what Johnny was talking about, the amount of evil and rebellion and wickedness and idolatry and oppression to the poor. And Jeremiah had that message, really. He got beaten up for it. He got put down a pit. He got put in prisons. It wasn't a happy life. But there you are. Like I said, you support Arsenal. You're used to that. But a similar time as Jeremiah, because he spoke for a long, long time, from about uh, 620 years before Jesus to 580, while he was going... Uh, he had Habakkuk around, so Habakkuk as well. Habakkuk <clears throat> was predicting um, that Babylon would come and invade Judah. So that's what Habakkuk's message. If you keep rebelling, Babylon will come. So that's what you were doing, Russ. Daniel, so we've got Daniel. So Daniel, you're here as well. The exile happened And then Daniel is responding to what God has said about mercy and justice and saying, come on God, rescue us, take us back. And Daniel lived, Daniel is a story as well as prophecies, and it's about really how to honour God when you're in exile. We won't say much more about him because we'll get to hear about him in the next couple of weeks. So that's Daniel. While all of this is going on, where's Ezekiel? Yeah, come on Ezekiel. So uh, yeah, Ezekiel's with Judah as well. And again, more judgment, exile, but also talk of forgiveness, talk of how God is going to act and raise up his people, incredible prophecies about rivers flowing from the temple. One of the interesting things about Ezekiel, out of all the prophets, and don't worry, I'm not going to get you to do this, he got to act things out. So he had to eat scrolls, he had to lay down on his side for a period of time, all kinds of things Ezekiel had to do. He's the kind of guy, if you met him, you'd think he was crazy. (laughs) <laughs> no typecasting honestly none of this was uh, so those guys are all together so if you want to put those down for me and sit down I hope this is just giving you a picture of rather than just seeing a mass of books that some spoke to some some overlapped some spoke to others Obadiah come and stand in the middle sorry about this no all we know about Obadiah is the name and even then what Obadiah means is messenger of God <coughs> So we don't know if it was his name or just a generic term given to the prophet. And Obadiah speaks specifically about the destruction of Edom. So that was a people who were related to Israel and a place. And Obadiah speaks about that being destroyed because they don't serve God and they don't follow God. And we think that Obadiah was around about this time, kind of around about 550 years before the coming of Jesus. Could have been much earlier, but in terms of the things that historically are in the book, and archaeologists contest, we think it's round about 550. So thank you, Obadiah. Do put that down over there. So <coughs> Haggai, if you want to come and speak to Judah, at the same time that Haggai's going, we've got Zechariah. You're on over here. So Haggai is prophesying about the importance. Now the people are out of exile. There's a group that have come back and about building the temple and saying, come on, work on God's house. You've got your houses back, you're back in the land, build God's house. And he prophesies to God's people about that. Zechariah, you'll like this, I've got your good bit, I thought I'm going to get it up the front. Zechariah talks all the time about Jesus. So lots of kind of funny language in there and weird pictures, but what's coming through again and again when you look at it is he's pointing to this, this Messiah figure this one that will come from God, and we'll see later 
possibly, because this is taking me much longer than I thought it would, um, a verse that speaks specifically about how this king will come. So Zechariah speaking to Israel about a coming king, and Haggai talking about get the temple rebuilt. So thank you guys very much. Put those down. And that leaves uh, Nahum. What do we do with Nahum? I should have got you up earlier. I'm sorry. And where's Malachi gone? I didn't seem to have a, a Malachi up there. My, uh, the person who produced the cars left Malachi out. So Nahum um, is speaking at the same time as Jeremiah. So Nahum's up when Jeremiah is speaking, and from Israel, but talking about how Nineveh, who God had had mercy on with Jonah, Nineveh will now fall because it's not following God and has not kept hold of God's mercy. So that's Nahum. So thank you very much, Nahum. Do take a seat. And right at the end uh, was Malachi, and um, Malachi was about 400 years before Jesus. So that gives you an overview. I hope that sets the scene. I hope that's helpful in terms of just quickly breaking it down and seeing how God was working across several hundred years, speaking to his people and also to other nations. Isaiah didn't only speak to Israel, but Isaiah spoke to other nations as well uh, about the need to honour God or destruction would come. The prophets, as hopefully we've picked up, were messengers from God. They were God's representatives, God's mouthpiece, God still speaking. One of the stories in the news recently has been people protesting to Google, saying, look, there's lots of false things written about us or the company or whoever it is on the internet, and when people put a search in, this rubbish comes up, and Google should remove it because it's not true. I don't know if you've picked up on that story, but people getting upset when there's people who can write anything they like on the internet, um, and true or false, scandalous or whatever, gossip. And when someone does a search, it comes up, and people can read that and think, oh, that's that person. Um, And so lots of people have been writing to Google since there was a European ruling and saying, please delete these records, please make sure these don't come up, it's not fair. I wonder sometimes when you look at what the prophets wrote and you read some of the passages which seem particularly dark and talk about destruction and exile and judgment, it could be easy to think, I wonder if God wishes that could happen. I wonder if God now, in terms of 21st century Britain and our culture, kind of wishes, I I, I wish I could just delete some of those records so I could come across as far nicer. Certainly that's what the world would think. There can be predominantly a view of God, which is he's judgmental, um, at best he's grumpy, he's angry, and uh, if you don't follow him and follow his rules, then bad things will happen to you. That's one view of God, which has been out there for years. To counter that, um, also still based on what we see in the Bible, people can kind of talk about God's love a lot, say, no, no, that's not God, and um, yeah, but you can see that a bit in the Old Testament, but really God is incredibly loving and kind and generous, and he wants to help you, and he's interested in you personally, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to protect you from bad things and, and make your life better, and sometimes it can almost sound like, really, God's a lovely uncle, and you can give him a big cuddle, um, and he doesn't like bad things, but, but he will look the other way in the end. And you get those two kind of stereotypical views. And the one about a kind of bad, angry, grumpy God, really a lot of what we read in the prophets kind of fuels that. And you kind of think, is that the whole story? Does God wish he didn't say some of those things? So what I want us to do now in the little while we've got left is kind of give an overview and say, well, what do we actually learn about God then from the prophets? If these people were God's 
spokesperson were messengers from God, and that's kind of a typical picture when you search for prophet on the internet, a bearded, wild, slightly wild old man pointing into the distance somewhere, or there's pictures of bright lights and them kind of beaming, having a vision. Um, whatever they looked at, there can be a caricature of what a prophet is. But if in the end they were messengers of God, they were making God known, what do we learn about God through this? That's the angle I want us to take. What in the end does this really say about God? What can we <coughs> take to the world around us in terms of who God is and these stereotypes that there can be out there? Who is he really? What do the prophets teach us? I'm just going to look very, very quickly, uh, give an overview. Um, and my prayer is, is that that will then speak to us as well. And there'll be things here that you know, but they'll do your heart good and strengthen you this morning. But not only that, we'll see things, I hope, to provoke us in terms of uh, something for people we work with, live with, a message that we have, which is of good news. But let's just pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to kind of do this huge overview that we're doing. Um, Lord, it's good for us to see the big story. But Lord, we do want to hear you this morning. Lord, I pray for each one of us. Speak to us, please. Lord, may it not just be interesting and uh, helpful, but speak right into our hearts, please. Lord, we need to hear you. That's what we come here for. We don't just come here to do a kind of religious ceremony. It's not just what Christians do on Sunday. We come with expectation to hear you, to meet with you, and to know you. Lord, you spoke through these prophets hundreds, a couple of thousand years ago now. Lord, speak to us through them today. Your word isn't just a history book. It's a live living. Speak to us, please. Amen. It's a very quiet amen. Thank you very much. Let's do it again. Come on. Amen. Amen. I hope you mean that when we kind of pray that kind of stuff. I'm not just doing that this morning because it's a nice thing to do. We need to be hungry for God's word, hungry for God to speak to us. You know, when you look on your telly and the media, look at stuff you hear at work, we should be crying out for God to speak to us. Because I, I love coming together, being together with his people, knowing that God is going to speak, because that's what gives us strength. That's what sustains us in every other situation that we are in. <clears throat> First thing we see in, through these 17 books, 16 prophets, we see God is not distant. He is really involved. This is God speaking This is God not just watching the world, not just watching his people and the nations just kind of make some mistakes and God kind of sitting in heaven tutting and thinking, oh, this is terrible, getting the angels round. Can someone tell me some jokes to cheer me up? What's going down there is just awful. Or God just sitting up there grumpy watching everything. Now, as you read this and look at some of the situations, some of these prophets were spanning decades. Others of them are speaking right into a specific situation. What this tells us about God is he's not disappeared. He's not away from us. He is not distant. He is really, really involved. We worship and follow a God who speaks. The whole creation is here because God said, let there be. And there was. Let there be light. Let there be trees. Let there be fish. Let there be Adam, Eve, let there be people. God spoke and all of this came into being. It's what the Bible tells us. Whatever the process was, whatever you believe about how that happened and how long it took, what the Bible wants us to hear from the opening chapter is God makes himself known. 
There is a God. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's not in the background. He's not just watching on. He's not just hoping we do a better job somehow, and he's going to turn up one day and sweep up this mess. No, God steps right into history, and he speaks, and he acts, and he makes himself known. And God wants to make himself known to you this week and next week. And many of you are here because God has made himself known to you. That's why you're here. Not because you like reading an old book. Not just because you've got nothing better to do on a Sunday. But because God spoke to you. And God doesn't stop speaking. God's these 16 books, 17 books, 16 prophets are representing God speaking right into contemporary situations of injustice, the poor, how to rule, how to honour God with money. It's all there. God speaks. God wants to speak to you and keep speaking to you. God makes himself known. He reveals himself. I mean, right the way, that's what the Bible is. It's the big story. It's his story. Every single book, we learn something about God. But you see that so clearly here. God was speaking all that we heard, as I said the other week from Johnny. God speaks not silent when these kings are abusing him, um, abusing people, and there's <coughs> injustice and everything else and false worship and terrible things going on. God's speaking all the time. That's what makes the story even sadder, is that God wasn't silent. It's not like his people running around thinking, oh, where's God gone now? We had all those great things earlier uh, in the story, but where's he? No, God was active and speaking. People didn't always listen. And we get to learn about his character, his holiness, what matters to him, how he feels about things. But he also reveals himself. There's some remarkable passages about God, particularly when he calls some of the prophets, and just the awe and majesty and splendor of God doesn't just appear to some of these prophets and say, look, I'm really cross with those people. Go and tell them this. Here's a message. I'll dictate it to you. Now, he makes himself known. So Ezekiel, if we can put this up, Ezekiel 1 is full of amazing images, creatures with different faces, wheels within wheels so they can go anywhere, flashing lights, and just a few verses from it. There's not time to read it all. But spread out above the heads of the living creatures, was what looked like something like a vault, sparkling like crystal, awesome. Under the vault, <clears throat> their wings were stretched out towards the other, one toward the other. Each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. There is sound, noise. This is phenomenal. I mean, try and enter into that. Rushing waters, the voice of the Almighty. This is Ezekiel's vision. This is what he's seeing as God is about to speak to him to say, I want you to be my representative. I want you to go and speak to my people. Next slide. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. I think that's some kind of jewels or beautiful colors and high above the throne was a figure like that of a like that of a man and you get this in some of these visions it was kind of like this but not like this it was kind of looked like that but incredible it had one face and then another and another this goes on I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and from there down he looked like fire 
brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. Wow. This is God stepping right into one person's life. In all his glory, in all his power, in all his resplendent holiness. Ezekiel's kind of seeing this, hearing this, trying to describe it. It was like this, but blazing. It was like fire. There was light. It was like a rainbow on all these creatures. And that's just part of it. It goes on in the next chapter, and then it finishes with Ezekiel sat down for a week. Such was the awe of what he heard. Such was the splendor and the terror that he sat silent for a week. God makes himself known, and he's a powerful, mighty God who made this world beautiful and said it was perfect, and in our rebellion, it's ruined, and it's not okay, and God steps in, and God speaks. Let's move on. God loves justice, and he loves mercy. So remember what I was saying about that kind of Google thing and and all the negative stuff and stuff that we could read in the prophets and think, well, that's not terribly nice today. I hope my friends at work don't get to read that. not sure how I would explain some of these things about God and this whole idea of God being angry and everything else. But that's not the full picture. Yes, God loves justice. If we put Amos 5 up, remember Amos, the shepherd, passionate for the poor, He says that basically God says this. This is from a verse, Amos chapter 5. I don't like your, stop your worship songs. Stop singing, says God. That's what it says. Stop singing. Stop your worship. Stop your psalms. I won't listen to the music of your harps. Let justice roll on like a river. Let righteousness like a never failing stream. And that's a theme which comes through again and again, similar verses in Isaiah and other passages where God said, you can do all your sacrifices. You can go through your temple rituals. Amos, you can sing me songs. But what I want is justice. What that looks like in Amos is the poor cared for, the orphan looked after. Yeah, God loves justice. And yeah, God will get very, very angry and have some strong judgmental things to say when he confronts evil because some of the wickedness and evil that goes on in the world does not need people being nice about it. It needs some anger. It needs some burning fire. Some of the headlines that we get so used to, some of the stuff we see happening, kids getting killed for protesting, some of the rape that goes on in the world, some of the things in your life that you've experienced. If you've had people hurt you, harm you, been in an abusive relationship or grown up in an abusive home, that doesn't need someone being nice and negotiating about it. God hates evil, hates wickedness because he hates what it does to his creation, and he hates the death and destruction. So yeah, God does get angry. Yes, God does have some strong things to say, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that or dress it up or try and think it's more politically correct to have a nice granddad-type loving God on a rocking chair that will give us all a cuddle. No, I'd rather worship a God who burns with fire and says, I don't like that, and it needs to finish. But he loves mercy. He loves gentleness. So in Micah, we get this. And again, this is just one verse. There could have been many I could have read. Who is a God like you? I remember Micah's been talking about judgment. Micah, like Isaiah, both at the same time, different people. 
talking about judgment, if, unless you stop rebelling, come back to God, talk in some strong passages there. But he goes on, who is God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. So in other words, God turns from his, if he's showing mercy, in the end he turns from his judgment, he turns from his anger. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread out sins underfoot and hurl, throw all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So God hates sin, but also he comes with mercy to throw our sin away. For when we respond, when we come to him and say, God, your judgment, I'm sorry. Will you have mercy? Will you forgive? He is quick to have mercy. God loves justice. God loves mercy. It's those two things, of course, which is what put Jesus on the cross. But more of that in a few weeks. But it comes through in the prophets. It comes through in the whole Bible. God burns against sin and wickedness and evil, and I'm glad he does. But he's quick to have love, mercy, and compassion. Let me read this to you. Some of you would have heard me refer to this quote before, back in the summer. But it it sums it up so well. This is by an author called Timothy Stoner talking about how we convey God today in kind of modern 21st century with all the political correctness and everything. What we need to make clear with our bumper stickers, American author, car stickers, and culture, current writings, talking about some of the stuff which some Christians can write in terms of making God more acceptable, is that the love that wins is a holy love. The love that won on the cross and wins the world is a love that is driven, determined, and defined by holiness. It is a love that flows out of the heart of a God who's transcendent, majestic, infinite in righteousness, and loves justice as much as he does mercy, who hates wickedness as much as he loves goodness, who blazes with a fiery, passionate love for himself above all things. He's creator sustainer beginning and end he's robed in a splendor and eternal purity that is blinding he rules he reigns he rages and roars then bends down to whisper love songs to his creatures i think that's beautiful that's the kind of god i want to worship not a tame god not a polite god not a god who i can put in a nice box and is ever so acceptable to everybody around me but a god who is transcendent (coughs) A God who's far above my understanding. But he's a God who is so good and so pure and so right. His love is perfect. And yeah, he can bring judgment and speak to nations, but he can speak to me and to you. And he can come with love and intimacy to us. That's the God the prophets make known. Let's move on. A couple of other things. God is passionate for his people. One of the main themes throughout this big story that we're seeing again and again is that God wants a people for himself. Because God is love, he wants a people to love. He wants a community that don't just kind of know him or know about him or know some facts about him, but actually are in relationship with him. Actually there is intimacy, there is closeness, there is friendship. The prophets reveal the strength of this desire in several places. It is a burning passion to have a people. No more so seen more clearly than in Hosea, as we said earlier. 
God says to Hosea that basically what he's saying is, my people are so unfaithful. They come to me one minute, they kind of want to do what's right, and then they turn from me. They're like an unfaithful wife. I want you to marry a prostitute. I want everyone to know this among the people because I'm going to speak to them. And that's what Hosea does. And of course his heart gets broken. And then God talks about judgment, judgment for unfaithfulness. But then that's not the end of the story because God then talks about compassion. Um, Hosea leaves the prostitute and then gets told to go back to her. And God says, so these are some of the verses from Hosea. Hosea 1, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. You think, wow. That's how God views when these people are kind of passionate for him and then turn away from him at the next kind of pleasure that comes along and kind of give up on God and go for what the world has got. But it's not the end of the story. Hosea chapter 2, just a few verses from a long passage where God talks about his love and bringing his people back. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. Notice the language of love. I said that God's desire for us was like a burning passion. Here's why. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. The leading into the wilderness is judgment. The wilderness is not a nice place to be. This isn't God's idea of a nice romantic weekend. He's saying, yes, there's judgment. Yes, we'll go into the wilderness. We'll take everything else away. But in that place, when she realizes she has nothing, I will speak tenderly to her. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. I wish we could spend longer. I mean, it's just beautiful. If you've never understood fully how much God desires you and your company and your presence, try and get a glimpse of it this morning. Because in the end, that's what the prophets are saying. They're saying it's not simply that God wants an order here. It's not simply that God doesn't like this nation or this act. What's burning behind all of that is, God's, I want a people. I want to love. I want to be loved. And it's the language of marriage. It's the language of romance. For years, I felt, what time have I got to be on the road? It's 25-2, isn't it? There's not time for this bit. For years, I grew up in the church. I understood God loved me, but I understood it as a theological statement. I understood it as a belief thing. Yes, God loves me. I've seen great songs talking about it, written by people who knew it more as a personal experience, but that never connected with me until the Holy Spirit worked in me and I began to understand some of this and had revelation. Now, when it talks about God's love, it's talking about passion. It's talking about feeling. It's talking about the stuff of romantic poetry, greater than that. All of the romantic poetry and films and love stories point to a far greater love that God has for you. No matter how distant you may feel from him at the moment, or if it's just got kind of same old, same old, you go to church, love church central, love being with God's people, but there's just a bit of duty and habit to it. My prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you afresh in our worship this morning just the burning desire he has for you. God is passionate for his people. Finally, God promises a new day. Running through the prophets, through all of the the sense of judgment, the sense of God saying, please come back, I want to allure you. Running through this are predictions, prophecies about how God is going to rescue 
about how God is going to rescue all of creation and what God is going to do. And there's promises of new things again and again. Isaiah does it in picture language often. He talks about some of the new things, but he also says there's a wilderness, but in the wilderness, streams will flow. Flowers will spring up. There'll be life there. And it's talking about a new thing. It talks about a new king. I'll just rattle through these, just bring them up on the slide. I said about Zechariah talking about Jesus, a specific prophecy. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Jesus fulfilled that. He's the king. That's why he got on a donkey. That's how specific the prophets were. There's a new king coming and he'll come on a donkey. Some of the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the New Testament. Mustn't rush ahead too much. You've got to wait for that after Christmas. It's because of this. He's the king. A new ruler will come. You've had David. You've had all these bad kings. A new one is coming. talks about a new temple, Haggai, restoring the temple. And Haggai says, I won't read it, you'll see it on the screen. He says the former temple, which was glorious and amazing, there wasn't a building like it, it was stunning, it lies in ruins, the people are trying to rebuild it. Haggai says that the the next temple is going to be even more glorious and more stunning. He's not talking about a building, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church. God says, I'm going to have a new dwelling place, a place where I will live, but it won't be stone." It will be people, and it will be more beautiful, more stunning, and more glorious than anything else. It talks about a new creation, Isaiah 65, that God is going to make all things new. This is the ultimate. This is, as we've seen through the story, God pointing to the end. God, when will this wickedness and evil end? When's it? What's going to come? What are you going to do? God says, I'm going to make everything new. New heaven and new earth. There'll be no more wickedness and no more evil. How are you going to overcome it? Because through Jesus, I will make all things new. God is overcoming injustice. God is overcoming wickedness. He's overcoming evil because he will make all things new. What fantastic truths. We've had an overview, a whistle stop of 17 books. But I hope those truths can strengthen you and encourage you. God is involved. He's involved in your life makes himself known, burns with passion for you and to know you and to know people around you. Yeah, he loves justice, but he loves mercy too. Let's not just sing songs here this morning. Let's live different in the week. Please never, never settle for, I can do my Jesus thing on Sundays, and if I'm really zealous, I can do it in the week at a small at a life group. No, God wants you to live it. God wants you to mean what you sing and to show you mean it by how you live in the week. So let that be a provocation to you. And then know this, the new day has started. You're in it. This is the temple. The things the prophets wrote about have come true. Everything has changed with the coming of Jesus. God's glory is made known through us. New creation has started. Where? Don't look out there. Look in here. You're a new creation. That's who you are. God has begun it in us. Well, as I prayed and said, God, what is it, other than these incredible truths, to build us up, encourage us, and strengthen us, what is it you would really like us to hear this morning? <clears throat> oh, goodness. Didn't expect this. It was simply this. The prophets spoke for God over 2,000 years ago. Who's going to speak now? You see, the church, we put the final slide up, 
The church is a prophetic community. Yeah, there'll be a few prominent gifts, a few people who can speak and speak into government perhaps or can do some advocacy and we can petition, etc. But God isn't looking for one or two individuals now like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel. God's got a whole community. And what we see in the New Testament is that actually we're to be the ones who speak now. Speak about injustice. Speak about what's right and what's wrong. And don't be afraid to do, oh, it's not popular. Oh, the world only wants people to speak out on evil when it's someone else's evil. See, our friends are very happy when wrong's pointed out about someone else. We're never happy when it's pointed out about us. Doesn't mean we don't speak. But we don't just speak about what's wrong. We speak of mercy. We speak of this God who's made himself known. We speak of a God who wants to overcome injustice. We've got something to say right into the issues that the world is grappling with and people that you know and I know are not happy with. Everything we see in our newspapers, we've got something to say. And it's to make God known. You may feel timid, you may feel intimidated at times by secular agenda and everyone telling you this is nonsense and this is rubbish. Jeremiah felt that. Isaiah felt that. Ezekiel knew that. But God has given you the power of his Holy Spirit to speak and to live and to make him known.